Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined on the phone all the way from Hungary by little G Weevil. G, are you well? Hey, how are you, Kev? Good, good, good. Now, you were the winner of the Blues Foundation's International Blues Challenge back in 2013. Did someone suggest that you put yourself forward for that, or did you just go off your own back? Well, you know, at that time I lived in Atlanta. Uh, I moved to the States in uh, 2004, uh, first in Alabama, then I lived in Memphis, then Atlanta. And then the uh, International Blues Challenge is is sort of a big deal, you know, for blues musicians, uh, it's 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 a cool thing to look forward to in the blues scene, you know, over there in the U.S. So after releasing uh, the teaser album, which went around the world, uh, that was in 2012, I thought it's it's a smart, let's call it business move, you know, just to go up there and and uh, try again. But you grew up in Budapest, so what was it that got you into music? I was always into music, um, actually nothing but music. I really didn't care about nothing else but music. And uh, my brother was a bass player uh, in a rock band. So I would go out and, and you know watch them practicing and stuff like that. And uh, everybody in my extended family, my cousins, everybody were into music mostly rock music or heavy metal music. So that's what I grew up on. And then one day my brother showed up with a Johnny Hooker record. And um, he was like, he, he sort of passed it on. He didn't like it. And uh, I, I, I put it on and, and I just found it absolutely beautiful. I never heard this sort of music before. And I instantly fell in love. So from that, you formed your first band in 1996. Was that the kind of thing you were playing, or were you playing covers or pop music? Yeah, uh, blues covers. I I didn't even speak English, to be honest with you, when when I started, because uh, I'm the last generation from the Iron Curtain. You know, I was born in 1977, so, you know, uh, uh, during communism, you know, we we had to study Russian language and literature and all that, you know, uh, fancy stuff. And so, so my generation... Did not have chance to learn any other languages but but Russian, um, so uh, it was kind of weird, you know, uh, um, falling in love with the blues, not understanding the language, but but the feeling got you, you know. So anyway, I started practicing on the guitar and uh, sort of trying to imitate, you know, the the elderly sounding blues guys um, and. Uh, after like three years of rehearsing, we started gigging in 1996. And uh, those days, you know, after the war came down in 1989, and this music sort of kind of freely flew into the country, everybody loved blues. So I, I, we, didn't even, we didn't even have a record, you know, nothing. Uh, but blues was so popular back on the back of those days. So... Um, almost every band who played blues got hired in a club. Right. It was a, it was an easy start, fairly easy start. So, what was it that inspired you to move over to America in two thousand and four? Well, um, this excitement of of we call the Hungarian blues boom sort of faded away after like I, 
about eight, ten years, and uh, I found myself kind of wondering, you know, where to go next. But and more, more importantly, I was not satisfied with with my own style. In the meantime, you know, I um, um, started learning English, so that was great. But uh, I wasn't satisfied with my sound, and you know, when I when I listened to myself, I did not really hear or or, or uh, didn't really catch the feeling that, that you know uh, that came through by listening to these uh, uh, old American guys. So I've I've kind of found it harder and harder representing something. I'm not really familiar with, which was the Afro-American culture. I realized that this music is so much deeper than than one would think at first, and the deepness comes from the culture. So I wanted to experience it firsthand. And you ended up moving to Memphis. Was that your first choice? No, first uh, I landed in Birmingham, Alabama, which is like about uh, four hours uh, from Memphis. Mm. Was it the fact that Memphis is associated with the Delta Blues that drew you there? Well, you know, I, I've never never been in the U.S. before, you know, and it was it was very hard to 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 get the visa. You know, back those days, we 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 needed visas, so it, it, it was a, it was a long process to even get it, and didn't have many choices. So uh, I sort of kind of. You know, Someone helped me and asked, you know, where do I want to go? Uh, they have places here and there and uh, pointed uh, uh, Birmingham, which is like right in the middle between New Orleans and Memphis. And I, 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 one thing I knew, I wanted, wanted to be right in the middle of the blues uh, down south. So I was like, okay, Birmingham is not far from Memphis. And that southern sort of blues I always liked very much. So Birmingham seemed to be a, a great choice, and it turned out to be good. The first, so I spent the first eight months in uh, in Birmingham, and um, to be quite frank, if it wasn't for the local blue society, Magic City Blue Society, probably every you know none of none of this would have happened. Uh, those people were so so wonderful and so helpful uh, in the blue society. They sort of became my sponsors, and uh, and uh, that's how I got to stay and extend my stay in the U.S. and switch from temporary work visa to artist visa, and that's how I got started over there. Well, then in 2005, you suffered a major tragedy recording at Charlie Woods' studio in Memphis. You recorded some mm-hmm. stuff, and then three of the four tracks were lost due to a technical issue. Yeah. <laughs> I I can sympathize with that because I've recorded interviews before now and then come back to listen to them when they're not there. So that must have been heartbreaking. Well, you can imagine, you know, being in the States in the middle of the blues is already is already a huge, huge major deal for for a Hungarian or any anybody, matter of fact, but especially from somebody on another side of the world. So uh on top of that recording in Memphis, your first solo recordings, you know. So that was a major, major deal. And up until today, we don't really know what happened. But uh, that session uh, included five songs, if, if I'm correct. And and everything got lost. I don't know. I, we don't know how. One song remained. That was Hey Jody. But that, um, 
So, you know, when you open, what was the, what you call those flashcards or what you call those, um, the hard drives. And we opened it up and there was nothing else, but, but Hey Jody, but even that, Hey Jody, uh, missed, uh, the bass, bass track. So, but you know, the band was fantastic. Charlie Wood was on an organ. Billy Gibson uh, was on a harmonica. I was like, Oh my God, I gotta do, I gotta do something. So I asked the Hungarian, uh, bass player to try to put the bass. Uh, up there in order to save the song and uh, which was his name is Chubba Pangu and he did it he did it. and that song became the opener uh, song of my debut album Southern Experience and in 2013 you recorded the album Moving according to the notes I've got that was your first full length record is that right? no first first length uh, acoustic full acoustic record that was um, my third record uh, actually, the first one was the uh, Southern Experience in 08, and uh, the teaser followed in 2012, both electric albums. And, you know, um, I won the International Blues Challenge in the solo duo category. Um, so making, uh, making a full acoustic record made a lot of sense, and, and that's what I did. Um, I hooked up with a Vistone Labor Group, uh, out of the Carolinas over there in the U.S. And uh, with them, we released Moving uh, in July 2013, and it it came out very successful, actually. Is that something that you'd wanted to do for some time, going back to when you were first listening to John Lee Hooker? You know, it, it, it um, kind of happened naturally because, uh, you know, over the years, uh, the money sort of like, you know, went, went downhill. So... It was it, it, it was hard to keep a band together because the pay was so low. So I was like, okay, if I want to keep doing this, I might as well learn to play by myself. And that's what I did. I, I worked in Memphis, and uh, so there was a lot of lot of uh, influence around, you know, especially the North Mississippi style, like Fred McDowell, John Lee Hooker, Aura Burnside. You know, I mean, you could sense the influence in the air in Memphis, you know? So uh, I learned to play by myself, and then in a few years, I sort of developed my own sound uh, on the on the acoustic guitar. And by 2013, uh, I played a lot of gigs uh, by myself, traveling from place to place. So I actually, I put the, put the uh, moving album together, together uh, in like three weeks. It, it was very natural, to be honest with you. Well, I've said on many an occasion that just walking down Beale Street has got a certain magic feel about it. You were there for some time, and also the International Blues Challenge. Did you use that inspiration for that album? Absolutely. You can't, you can't help it, because you, you're soaking this up every day, you know. Memphis is a tough place to, to, to be, you know, and... It's not easy to make a living there as a musician or just uh, in, in, uh, in general. You know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a tough city. And money is, is, is not quite right. So uh, many people struggle there, uh, live uh, from paycheck to paycheck. Um, but Bill Street and the blues is just uh, um, the part of life, you know. Um, you walk into a fast food restaurant, you hear blues music from, from the speakers. You know, it's not like like over here in Europe. It's in the air. And when you... Uh, I always say, uh, I always say this, this is Memphis 
for a blues player or 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 New Orleans, but in, in my in my case, Memphis is 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 like the the Olympic Games for somebody who's in sports because being a, you know it's like the you know it's just a top university of blues, mm. you know, and um, every place. Every corner, every building has has, has a history. You know, um, I washed dishes uh, in in the Blue City Cafe. That was it's one thirty eight B Street, and uh, I understand that uh, you know uh, Jerry Lee Lewis used to bust tables in the very same place. Yeah. It's called it was called different in the fifties, but it's the same building. Yeah. You know, you know, so, uh, they showed me where Albert King used to sit. You know, and 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 smoke his pipe and 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 then drink his red wine and all that stuff. I mean, it's just it's in the air, yeah. you know. So you can't help it, but but it's it's uh, this is something that you know Memphis is like a love and hate relationship, you know, because you hate the struggle, but you love the history, the music history of it, and uh, you spend some time in there, and you you will never forget it. Yeah. Well, you you said going there is like going to the Olympics. For the mm-hmm. IBC, that must have been just exactly like that because you've got people from all over the world coming and trying their exactly. best, and you won it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be modest now. Come on. That must have been such a I, thrill for you. It, it was because, you know, it, it was sort of unbelievable, you know. Uh, okay, I understand, I understand that's not a blues music awards or the Grammy or whatever, but still, you know... Uh, uh, as a Hungarian player or, or somebody whose whose native language is not English, obviously we have to work uh, extra extra hard uh, to lose the accent when we sing, um, so the music would sound credible enough, you know, to sort of compete with anyone who who is from an, uh, who is coming from an English speaking area, you know. Mm. So it's just some some sort of a, a justification or or. Or, you know, like, okay, I'm doing good enough to be here. You know, I have the right to be here. You know, it's not the, not the award itself, but it's like, it's, it's, it's just a little proof for my hard work. Like, okay, I can do this, you know, and, and uh, it's obviously it's, it's, uh, it's satisfying. Well, one thing I saw in the notes, which was somewhat surprising, is that you were invited to join the judging panel on the Hungarian X Factor. Yeah, <laughs> how did that come about? Honestly, they they just called me. You know, um, that's all. I did not know anyone. Um, but when I, I won the IBC, you know, thanks to social media, that news uh, reached uh, Hungary, obviously through Facebook or whatever, and a newspaper picked it up, like a ma- uh, like a guitar magazine. So uh, we did an inter- I did an interview for the guitar magazine, and and it just man, it just blew, you know, like everybody was like, oh my god, oh my god, uh, and then a uh, um, like small filming crew came to follow me on tour in the U.S. for a week, so they did like a little documentary, like who is this guy, you know, like nobody knows that he's in he's Hungarian, he's in Memphis, he's, he's win- winning this uh, international. A blues competition, nobody knows, you know, he didn't use the government's money or the voters' money, he's just here, you know. <laughs> so they put this documentary out, and 
and a lot of people loved it and I, I guess it caught the attention of the uh, X Factor producers and uh, I understand that one of the judges in the competition uh, the previous year uh, so he quit or, or, or whatever but he, uh, he's a Hungarian guy too but he's been in the United States for, for many years uh, and uh, the X Factor producers wanted to uh, continue this sort of pattern that somebody from outside the country coming in, you know, sort of make it make the whole competition more credible. There was me who was in the news, you know, like, hey, he was this guy. And they, they didn't care I'm a blues guy or whatever. They just saw a musician who travels internationally and wanted me to join. And it was great money. So I went for it, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, who wouldn't, right? Well, quite right. Quite right, too. In the first year of the pandemic, you wrote a novel based on real life. It was in Hungarian, but there were plans to translate that into numerous languages. Has that happened? Well, I spent 14 years uh, um, in the United States, and, and for a few years I lived in London too. Um, I went through a whole lot of things, in, in, um, especially the, you know, I, I divorced in 20, 2015, and, I, uh, man, I did some crazy stuff. I ended up in jail and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, it was just like uh, ups and downs, ups and downs. And I, and I, I remember sitting in my uh, empty house in 2017. I was like, man... I have to write a book or, or make a movie or something because nobody's going to believe all this. <laughs> so when I, uh, my, my father got ill and I returned to Hungary in December 2018 and um, started looking for opportunities if anybody would be interested in the, in the story, you know. So I wrote a, a chapter and, and then I was asked to go to another one. I ended up writing the whole book uh, because uh, a, a major publisher uh, was interested uh, in the story. And it's, it's not, you know, uh, it's some sort of an urban fiction, street language style. So basically, uh, the whole concept of, of the book is like um, somebody from, you know, spending years and years uh, away from uh, home. He comes home and ends up in the bar and and over a beer or two, he, you know, start telling stories. That's the style of the book, you know? And I just, I just did that, and, um, and uh, it would be great to uh, translate it, to be honest with you, translate it uh, to, to different languages, uh, especially English, but I want Portuguese, uh, French, and, and Spanish. Right now, we don't have the funding, but, uh, you know, I keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. In 2021, you recorded the live acoustic sessions. Was that just something to get back into the groove of making music, or did somebody suggest it? The director of uh, the CEO of Hunia Records, it's a Hungarian uh, record label, uh, called me up. And we were like four months into the lockdowns or something like that, and uh, he called me up and asked if I'm willing to do something like that since it's a solo project. Uh, so I just have, I, I can safely, you know, go into a studio that, you know, there would be just like one or two other guys, you know, and, and he said, well, I just want you to come in. I have this DSD, whatever recording system, just go and, and play like you, like you do at gigs, nothing fancy. And I want to record it. And I was like, okay, but I don't have any new songs. I don't need new songs. I just want you, you know, we want you to play like you play live gigs. 
I was like, okay, fine. So it was a very spontaneous idea. So on a Sunday, I walk into the studio. I was quite nervous, to be honest, because, you know, it's been months. I haven't had a gig or nothing. So to ease my nerves, you know, I had one beer and, and another one and another one. I was like, okay. I'm, I, after the third one, I was like, okay, fine. I guess I'm ready now. So let's hit it. And I sat down um, and played 17 songs. And uh, that was released as a live acoustic session. It's very interesting. It's like, it sounds like, you know, playing in a living room or something. You know, it's like, it's very intimate. I think it's wonderful. You don't really hear records these days like that, you know? Yeah. Now you are getting ready to go back out on the road. Now restrictions have eased. What are the plans? Well, hopeful, hopefully, hopefully, I'm, I'm still negotiating and asking around because uh, most of the promoters uh, still skeptical, you know, uh, being still being careful with um, uh, bookings. We missed a lot of gigs and a lot of money the past two years, so uh, um, I'm really looking forward to to perform again uh, internationally. But nothing major uh, yet. We just kind of. I think I guess we're just waiting, waiting it out, and hopefully, hopefully by by late spring or early summer, this will be over for good, and everything returns to normal. Let's pray on that. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been an absolute joy talking to you, and thank you for taking the time out to do this. Well, thank you, Kev. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there. And there will be more as we record more for the show. And we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come. And of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.